last night, myself and Pam were uh, at a restaurant, and it was a new restaurant that's opened in Bromsgrove, where where we currently live, and um, it was billed as you know this really nice place, quite posh. So we thought, brilliant, let's go because we're quite, well, not very posh, but we'll go anyway. We'll see if we can get away with it for a couple of hours, and uh, and we went and we had a lovely starter. We'd ordered our main course. We'd started our bottle of wine. And uh, it then took over an hour for our main course to arrive. At which point, I was really grumpy. I was picking fault with everything. It's too loud. There's too many people near our table. We're too close to the bar. Just grumpy. And whinging and moaning. And then they came to us and said... We, we realised we've kind of made a mistake. What did you order? We'll bring it to you. Um, and you can have the bottle of wine on us. At which point I was happy again. It was great. Um, but it struck, well, I say it struck me, Pam pointed out to me how quickly I whinge and moan. Someone was cooking me a nice meal. I wasn't having to do it. I was just sitting there. It really was a first world problem. You know, I, I wasn't starving. I was a bit peckish. I'd had a nice starter. It was a good restaurant. But I was very quick to moan and to whinge. This morning, I want to teach from the Bible. I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 10. But really to illustrate some of our testimony, really, of what we went through. I'm not going to go into massive detail about what we went through, but what I'm talking about today has really been fueled by what, what were some of the things we went through. And so I want to talk to you about some people who liked to grumble and liked to whinge, just like me. And um, some people have more to moan about than others. Um, but as I go through this, hopefully it'll be helpful to you. Uh, some of it's just confession for me. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see how we go with that. What I'm going to say today is not difficult. It's not hard to understand, but it is really hard to put into practice. And some of the things I'm going to talk to you about, I'm still really trying hard to put into practice. I'm not getting it all right. Um, so I'm not speaking to you having conquered all this. I'm speaking to you saying these are my current struggles and battles, really. So let's look at the passage. Let's look at the Bible. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 10. Um, I couldn't decide what to title. I'm no good at giving titles. So I've called this Victory in Defeat, which hopefully will become clear. Um, the, word, the words of the passage will come up on the screen um, over a couple of slides. That might be way too small. For, I'll, I do this every time. Way too small to read. So um, I'll read it out and uh, you can follow it with me. The whole commandment that I commanded, that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. 
Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. The Israelites at this point are just about to enter the land of Canaan. They've done their 40 years in the wilderness. And Moses is recapping. He's saying, right, I'm going to tell you all about the things that have happened that you've been through because many of them there wouldn't have known all of it although they'd have heard the stories because the whole of the older generation had been wiped out which we'll we'll come to uh, in a few moments so he's telling them he's recapping all of the things that had happened since coming out of Egypt starting their journey the exodus now the Israelites had journeyed for around a year after they left Egypt and then camped for around a year. These are just rough dates. So it had been before they actually got punished and went out into the desert for 40 years. They had already been traveling for two years. They'd been out of Egypt for two years. And, and that, that was the point when uh, the spies got sent into the land of Canaan, uh, went out to spy at the land to say, you know, can we go and take it? And many of you will probably know the story that they came back and Two of them said, yeah, let's go, let's take the land. But the majority said, oh no, it's far too hard. We can't do this, no chance. And it's at that point that God says, okay, enough's enough. I've given you this, you can take it, but you've rebelled. I'm sending you off into the desert. What could have been two years ended up being 40 years. That two years was hard. But then the next got even harder. (coughs) Two years of traveling on foot, camping in places they didn't belong. It was tough. It was there to produce discipline and character. It was never going to be easy. They'd come out of Egypt. The big exodus, salvation, freedom, liberty. They'd got it. They had a real idea of how that would work out they thought they knew this is it we're free this is going to be easy we're going to go into the promised land and everything's going to be fantastic but what's freedom if you're stuck in a desert what's liberty if you're hungry so they grumbled but at every step God provided for them he didn't leave them without at no point were they without but they grumbled and they moaned and they whinged they didn't learn So God needed to give them longer to learn the lesson that he had for them. Another 40 years. It could have been over in two, but they didn't learn their lesson. So it took them longer. And in that time, the older generation, God had said, the older generation, you're the grumblers. You're not going to see the promised land. That's why he chose the length of time he did for them to all get older, to die and the new generation to come, except for Joshua and Caleb, who had been got it right uh, as the two spies that had got it right. Uh, 
God leads us into times of wilderness to know what is in our hearts. It says that in verse two of Deuteronomy eight. But he doesn't do it the way we expect. My observation on this is that as they as those Israelites went in um, and spent two tough years, you know, let's make no mistake. It was tough to begin with. God needed to change them. He wanted to change them. There was discipline, but then because of their rebellion came punishment. But one of the things I want to highlight today is the difference between discipline and punishment. They are two different things. God sent the nation away to be disciplined. But because they didn't get the discipline, because they didn't learn from the discipline, he had to make it harder. There are two things I want to look at from this before I go on to a third thing later. Suffering does not mean that God is unhappy with you or cross with you. They'd already suffered in that two years. Not because God was cross with them. He'd freed them into the suffering. It kind of doesn't make sense to us, does it? But that's what he'd done. Suffering doesn't mean that God is cross with you. It means he loves you enough to want to see you change. If you're in difficult circumstances, if you're struggling, if you think everything just seems to be going wrong, it doesn't mean God has left you. Actually, it often means that God is closer to you, even though you don't recognize it at the time. Now, it may be that you have done something wrong and God is using the circumstances to bring you to repentance. God does that. Or it may be, as he had to do with Israel, it may be that he's preparing you for something bigger, something better, something more productive in his kingdom. God does that. The Israelites didn't need 40 years. God had got them ready in two or he was giving them two because he brought them to the land of Canaan ready to go in. But they rebelled. How you react to the desert dictates how long you are there. You see, when God brings discipline to us, the way we react to that depends on how long he needs to do that for. We need to react well to his discipline. We need to take his discipline on board and say, "Okay, I'm going to run with that. I'm going to accept that. I'm going to go with that and not rebel against it. How you react to the desert dictates how long you are there. And here's the second thing. They thought they knew what God was doing. But he didn't do what they expected. We need to expect the unexpected. Why did they grumble? Why did the Israelites grumble? At the root of that is because they did not trust that God knew what he was doing. That's that's why. But that's a hard lesson to learn. So often we think we've got it. We know what God's doing. We know the plans he's got for us. We know what the future holds. And then God does it differently. I'm reading a book at the moment called Simply Jesus by N.T. Wright. Um, I think he's the former bishop of Durham. And uh, he says this. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, he says this. This is a quote from the book. This always was the highly unpredictable element within the Jewish story itself, that God remained free and sovereign. Again and again in the past, the way Israel had told its own story was different from the way God was planning things. The people no doubt hoped that the way they were telling their own story would fit in comfortably enough with the way God was seeing things. But again and again, the prophets had to say that this was not so. Often God's way of telling the story can cut clean against the national, their national narrative. It happened here in Exodus. This book was actually quoting in the context of the coming of Jesus and how he, that wasn't recognized at the time because he was, God was doing things totally differently to what was expected. And that happens to us. Last year, um, round about April time, just running up to Easter, actually, I was leading a church. I was employed by that church. And then within a couple of days, everything changed. Everything changed. I hadn't sinned or done anything awful. But in, a, in the matter of a couple of days, my role was gone. My job was gone. The church for me, for us as a family, was gone. It was devastating. Didn't see it coming. Absolutely didn't see it coming. The people I thought would stand by me didn't stand by me. Or it certainly felt that way. It was hard. It was damaging. It was devastating. Everything I thought I knew about what God was doing had suddenly gone. Overnight. It really was that fast. I'm not going to go into any more detail than that, but we were distraught. We were distraught. We were broken. We were hurt. It was terrible. I thought I knew what God was doing up until that point. Then suddenly I thought, I don't even know whether he's here or not. That's the position I was in. As Rob says, it's good to be honest. (laughs) I was like, do you know what? If that's following God, forget it. That's how much it hurt. A couple of verses from Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Everything was thrown into confusion for us. We we didn't know whether we were coming or going. Turned out we were going. (laughs) It's not funny. It's (laughs) It's a year ago. I can almost laugh. No. how could God let this happen? What, what about God's will in all of this? Surely this can't be right. And on and on that kind of thought process goes. When we read that verse, when I read that, those verses in Isaiah, I, uh, I look at those men and I think, yeah, yeah, obviously God's thoughts are higher than mine. Yeah, yeah, of course his ways are bigger than mine. Yeah, of course I don't understand him. 
but I'm probably pretty close. You know, it can't be that different. <laughs> oh, how different God is to us. It's just more different than we ever know and realise. When he says his thoughts are higher, for as, as, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, that's infinite. That's infinite. He's infinitely different to us. So when we think we know what God is doing, we probably don't. We might have an inkling sometimes because God in his grace reveals that to us. Sometimes we have no idea. And suddenly you're in the desert and you're on a very different journey than the one you thought you'd be on. And God uses it to change you. I'll be honest, there were days when we both thought we're not going to do we're not going to make this. We're not going to survive this. Occasionally, there still are days like that. But I've got to, and I mean got to, because there's no alternative, I've got to trust that God knows what he's doing. But that's really hard. It's, it's really easy to say it. And I think that's harder than we realise. It's a hard lesson to learn, especially when it doesn't fit with your own plans or what you thought were God's plans. And then it all changes. It should be easy to trust God. I mean, who else is like him? But our actions often show us that we're not really trusting him or we're trusting him when it's going along all very nicely. And we're trusting him when it all fits with our own plans. But we're not always trusting him when... There's a 90 degree or 180 degree turn. When it gets really hard, it reveals, as it says in Deuteronomy, what is really in our hearts. So let's move on to another bit. When you're suffering, you feel like you're in the wilderness. And God is definitely not doing things the way you thought he would or the way you thought he should. What do you do? How do you cope? Well, sometimes you've just got to get your head down and live every day as it comes. Sometimes that's the only thing you can do. You get to the end of the day and you think, OK, that's another day. It's another day done. But actually, I think this passage in Deuteronomy gives us hope. And shows us something else. And this is what initially drew me to this passage, probably a year ago, actually, when I look back at when I started writing some notes on it. This is what drew me to it. And it's verse four. Verse four, a very insignificant looking verse. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell. I love this bit. I just imagine a conversation between God and the Israelites at this point. So God's saying to the Israelites, um, and I'll do it. You know, God's not up there and we're not there. You, you know that, but I'm going to do it like that so you know who's talking. So God's looking down on the Israelites and he's going, it's hard, isn't it? You've got a lot to grumble about, haven't you? Yeah, we have. It's really tough. You have no idea just how tough this is. Nice jacket, by the way. What? Nice jacket. What are, you, what are you talking about? Had it long? Uh, well, oh, yeah, yeah, quite a long time. Where did you get it from? 
Well, um, ooh, uh, well, you know that little market stall at the end of the row in, Egy- in, e- in Egypt? That was 40 years ago. Uh, is that unusual to have a jacket for 40 years? Uh, uh, yeah, just a bit. Uh, they'd normally wear out. You see, what can look like a really insignificant verse is actually really significant. Because that, well, that, what that says is God's done a miracle and they haven't even realised it. What that says is God's interested in the little things, the small things, the everyday things. Every single day, he was sustaining them in ways they didn't even realise. It says to me that when things got very, very bad, that God was there. God was there. Now, if God could do this with their clothes, why couldn't he just pick them up out of Egypt and then drop them down into the promised land? That was my question last year. This is too hard. I don't want to do this. Just pick me up and put me the other side of all of it. Guess what? God didn't do that. He didn't do it for the Israelites. He didn't do that for us. God very rarely works that way. He can, but it's very rare. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, this is a really familiar verse. And I'm quoting this from the NIV because I just love the way it reads in the NIV uh, version of, of the Bible. Now to him, to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. When I read that verse, I think, whoa, yeah, immeasurably more, thousands saved, poverty eradicated. I immediately think of all the big things. But you know what? Read that verse and think about clothes not wearing out for the, uh, for, for, for the Israelites. The Israelites never imagined that their clothes would not wear out. They never asked for their clothes not to wear out. It was more than they asked for or imagined. And yet it seems to be a really small thing in the whole purposes of God. Because God in his grace does little things that we don't even know we need. But we need them. It's amazing, isn't it? And I read that verse in Ephesians now in a totally new way. It does mean the big things as well that God can do. But actually, God knows what you need. He knows the journey he's got to take you on. And if you don't like that, it's kind of tough, really, because he's going to take you through it. My advice is don't rebel against it because it might then last longer than it needed to. And, and oh, man, that's hard. And I'm still struggling with this. OK, I'm still wrestling with this. I'm still going and still don't like it. But that's the way it is. Because I have to trust that God knows what he's doing and he's got my best interests at heart. He's got more interest in me succeeding and getting through this than anybody else has. And others do have interest in that and are good in that. The Israelites wanted to be straight into the promised land, but God wanted to change them first along the way. But every step of the way, there were those little indicators that he was with them. Not just in the big things, but in the little things as well. 
last week, I think it was last week, it was Easter, wasn't it? Easter Sunday that uh, Rob taught from Luke 24, verse 5, where it says, why do you look for the living among the dead? And as Rob spoke on that last week, I thought, yeah, we do that all the time. Well, I do that all the time. Look at the dead when we want life. Look at the bad and miss the good is what that's saying to me. The death of Jesus looked like defeat, but it was actually victory. Our setbacks often look like defeat, but they're actually the route to our victory. That's the way it is. Our setbacks often look like defeat, but are the route to our victory. The Israelites, they weren't singing and dancing and celebrating their clothes not wearing out. I don't see the song of Moses concerning his jacket and trousers or his tunic. It's not there. He may have done it, but he's, I don't know, but he's not, it's not there. How often, though, are we like that? We totally miss what God's doing. We totally miss those little things. And they're the things that should mean the most because they're the ways that God is saying, I'm here, I'm with you, I haven't left you. And we miss them. We don't acknowledge them. God provides for us in ways we don't even realise. Even worse, and this is where it gets to confession time for me, God provides for us in huge ways and we still grumble about our circumstances. I do. (laughs) We've known each other too long. Time and time again over the last 12 months, God has shown me he's with me. So he provided me a job. Not just a job, but a whole new career that I could not have got into. But a friend gave me a job, which I thought would last till Christmas, and I'm actually still in it, which is great. And it pays more than I earned for many, many, many years. Great. I'm not going to argue with that. But I still moan about my job when it gets hard. (laughs) I mean, the people. No, I better not say too much. I work with some fantastic people. Some of them are more fantastic than others. At no point did we ever go without. We had financial provision from people. We had a job. We had people helping us. We had people standing with us. We had a new church family who have been awesome. That's you. It's true. We came here and we were loved. That was massive because it's hard to move. It's hard for your kids. It's hard for you. You guys have been incredible. But I've still whinged along the way. I still look at the bad bits. How ungrateful is that? It is, though. It is ungrateful. It's whinging. It's the wrong thing to do. Don't ask me in the future if I'm still doing it, because I might well be. But I'm trying to learn. To be grateful for those day-to-day things that actually mean more than the things I'm whinging about. The bad bits are there. We can't deny that they happened. But we don't have to let them define us. And that's the problem. We often let the bad bits define us rather than the blessings. 
let's draw all this together. Let's bring it all together and come to a conclusion on this. There's some bits to recap and bits to take away. Firstly, if you're going through a tough time, if you're going through a hard time, if you feel like you're suffering, I want to tell you this. God is not punishing you. Jesus has taken the punishment for you already on the cross. All your punishment was nailed there with him. God is not and will not punish you. Otherwise, what's the gospel? You're being disciplined if you're going through a hard time. And notice the word. Um, I haven't really referred to the discipleship series, but notice the word discipline and disciple. It's the same thing. You are being discipled. So when you say I'm being disciplined, you can also say I'm being discipled. God is directly discipling you through your circumstances. So, yes, we do that with one another, but often God intervenes and goes, I'm going to do that with you and for you and to you. Deuteronomy 8, 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord God disciplines you. Why do you discipline your kids? It's not to punish them. It's not to make their life miserable, although they think it is often. (laughs) But it's not, is it? It's because you love them and you have a, a view, a vision of the people you want them to become. God has a vision of who he wants you to become. He's got plans in there for you. He's got plans to prosper you in that. But you're not necessarily ready for all of that yet. So he has to take you through a process of changing you. That's what he's doing in me. And it hurts and it's hard. (laughs) But that's because... And again, I say this in faith, not necessarily knowing what this is and not every day believing it. But he's got something bigger and better for us as a family. Rob's been saying that over and over again (laughs) because he sees it. I don't always see that. But that's what he's doing. Secondly, expect the unexpected. I'm sorry if you don't like change. Normally, I love change, but sometimes it's more change than you can handle. But God does the unexpected because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are just so different to our ways. Expect the unexpected. We have to look at our difficulties from the right perspective when they arrive. Um, I've got a quote here from a a commentary, a Bible commentary, uh, which is commentating on... The uh, when the spies returned from the promised land and um, and some of them uh, saw things differently to others. And it says this, the failure consists primarily in an inability to see these difficulties in their true perspective. Caleb's observation and Caleb was one of the guys that said, come on, let's take the land. Caleb's observation is not that their difficulties are imaginary, but that Israel is well able to overcome them. Faith seeks to view the circumstances of existence from a divine perspective. So Caleb returned from the promised land and he went, that's going to be hard, but we can do it because God's with us. The others went, oh, no, it's too hard. 
actually got harder for them because of their wandering then in the desert. We have to view our difficulties from the right perspective. We've got to see them the way God sees them. It's hard because God is so different to us, but he gives us grace often to do that. The unexpected will come. We have to decide how we're going to deal with it. And then finally, everyday miracles. Look for the small things that are the still small voice of reassurance that God is with you. Don't look at what seems to be defeat and miss what God is doing to bring victory. The disciples, when Jesus was crucified, and I'm not I'm not having a go at them because I think I'd have been exactly the same in their situation, probably worse, which you can probably see now, given what I've told you. Jesus was crucified. They were scattered. Defeat. They missed what God was doing. I mean, let's give them a break. How were they ever going to see that? I mean, it's easy for us from our perspective, isn't it? We know the story. But we do the same in our lives. I've done it. We all do it. We miss what God is doing for victory because we only look at this current setback and we miss the big picture. At the time, the Jews thought the Messiah would come and sweep away the Roman Empire. The kingdom would come. The king would be on the throne. They got it wrong. Why? Because that was too small a thing to sweep away the Romans. No, forget the Romans. They're, they're, forget them. They're, they're inconsequential. They, they, they don't even figure. This is about the eternal salvation of mankind. It's a bigger plan than they expected, than they realised, than they could even imagine. God was doing something bigger. But because he's doing something bigger, it doesn't look obvious. As you take each step in difficulty, in in things you're going through, in suffering, look for those little things, the still small voice. It whispers, it whispers in miracles, it whispers in, for the Israelites in their clothes not wearing out, it whispers in a kind word. Dwell on the kind word rather than the setback. It's provision. It's family, it's friends, it's it might some days just be the fact that you're still breathing. God's given you that. Thank him for it. I'm saying this to me. Okay, you just listen. I'm telling myself what to do. Because God whispers and he whispers, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still with you. I will never ever forsake you. I'm going to finish there. I'm going to pray. Should we stand together? Is that all right? Shall I pray? Unless, Rob, unless there's anything you want to do. Thank you for listening in on me telling myself what I need to do. (laughs) Thank you for allowing me to do this it's um it's been good for me and um i hope it's been helpful
as well for you. Uh, Let's pray. Father God, you are just so big. (laughs) You are so much more than we could ever realise. But you also do far more for us than we could ever ask for or imagine, whether that's big stuff or small stuff. Lord, help us to see those small things, those steps when you're with us in our difficulties, in our hard times, when you are discipling us, when you are changing us. Lord, please help us as we as we go through these times to to not dwell on those, but to see you and your goodness. Lord, as there are people here going through tough times. Lord, bring to mind even now the little things that you're doing to tell them, to reassure them that you're still with them. Because that means so much to us, Lord. And Father, I pray that as we go through these kind of times that you will you will reveal something of your plan to us to give us that hope to give us that that vision of where you're taking us and lord i pray that you will take us all on to bigger and better to more to seeing more of your kingdom expressed to seeing more of what you're about expressed to changing us to be more like you Lord, I pray we will be people who are moldable and pliant in your hands, that we will take your discipleship and your discipline well. Lord, we don't want another 40 years in the desert. We want to get on with what you've got for us. And that's the position we want to be in. So, Lord, I pray as we go from here, you will just whisper to us day after day, just letting us know you're here, you're with us. You're sustaining us because we want to uh, stay in step with you and your plans. Uh, Not our plans, but your plans, Lord Jesus. Amen.